coming up in one minute on the Jack and Around podcast. Explain the process of uh, music-friendly cities. Like, what, what is it? How'd that get going? What this program can do is get involved with an artist and identify talent before it pops and say, what can we do to make it easier for you? Can we create citywide listening platforms that will turn people on to you? Can we create billboards? And when they do become successful, the city can at least say, well, we saw him back when, and we pointed it out, you know, yeah. and, and he or she has done great things and they've always been a great ambassador for this city. Uh, but we got involved with them early. Right. And Fort Worth has done that by creating gas cards to get people, you know, on the road. I mean, no just, kidding. just really, that's impactful stuff. That's big time. It is. Explain that. What they, they just so, give them a credit card or. But looking back, I have to give Pat a ton of, of respect for this. And share, you know, with you and anyone who asks how grateful I am that he took this attitude with me that when I left, you know, it was like for me and Pat, it was like a marriage breaking up and all that goes along with that. Mm -hmm. But he said, I, I want to thank you for that because that whole like line of people I met when I was finishing high school for like six months was direct result of me staged gang staging your, <laughs> your show at Stafford. Hey, man. This is the Jack and Around podcast, hosted by two-time Academy of Country Music Award winner, Jack Ingram. And now, here's Jack. The Jack and Around podcast is brought to you by Lone Star Dry Goods, a collection of handcrafted quality goods with a truly unique Americana vibe. Visit the world headquarters in the heart of downtown Abilene, Texas, and Willow Park, Texas, in Fort Worth. Visit LoneStarDryGoods.com for more information. I'm podcast producer Matt Pivato. Today's guest, Brendan Anthony, played fiddle for Pat Green from 1996 through 2010. Took position at a startup in Austin, Texas in late 2010. 2015, he was appointed by the governor of Texas to be the director of the Texas Music Office. Check out the show notes or visit jackandaroundpodcast.com to learn more about Brendan, the Texas Music Office, and his music-friendly communities program that he'll be talking about in the first half of this episode. Last half of the episode, he talks about Pat and meeting Jack in 1995 and how that led to where he's at today. Again, check the show notes or visit jackandaroundpodcast.com. Here's part two of episode 11. Music-friendly cities. Like, what? what is it? How'd well, that get going? So here's the highlighted problem that I had when I pulled out <laughs> my highlighter when I came in in 15. I sat in my office next to the Capitol in downtown Austin and I started looking at my phone and I couldn't call anybody in any other city who could tell me what was going on in these other cities. I couldn't call, uh, well, I, you know, I could call 10 people I knew from my playing days there right? and say, what's happening, who's doing what, but there was no office for me to communicate with. And so immediately I, I, I saw a problem there. To be a statewide agency, we need satellites that do work similar to ours in communities large and small around the state and report to us about what those things are. Uh, so through that was born the Music Friendly Communities Program. And it really was a sales job for a couple of years, at least two years, where I was going to convention and visitors bureaus. I was talking to you that time. Yeah. It was, busy. it was a lot, man. It was a lot of me in my car going to meet with mayor's offices, city councils, convention and visitors bureaus uh, around the state to talk them into creating offices within city government that reported to us. So you were working with the cities. Yeah, because not with I, venues. No, because I think it's important for cities to get involved uh, the way Austin's gotten involved and other industry centers. I think Texas is one big industry center. Right. I don't think we're Dallas and Houston. I think we're all one big thing, but I don't think real progress comes unless they're working hard locally uh, to make us that industry center. So creating this program, 
asked a lot of them. And I was asking cities and not just private folks with money who might lose interest. Right. So we created a, a, a template for this and an infrastructure. And we said, you've got to create an office within city government, a person that runs that office, an advisory board to work with that person. And you've got to create a database that mirrors ours. So basically you were going to Houston, I'm, Dallas. I'm cloning my office and cloning, all these places. Yeah, just trying to clone what you got going. Yeah, now we have 26. And are they, are they called, you know, Texas Music Office, Office of Texas Music Houston? No, I think it's important that they own them. Uh, they have a logo that they use that's ours, and it's got their name around it, so we keep that going there. But, I mean, the, you know, Lindale Music Office does amazing things, but it's very different than the El Paso music office that does very different things there. They're very different places. And do they hire, they hire somebody who they either hire someone or look around their office and say, well, you're doing this job now, but they're on staff either through the city government or a city contracted agency, like a CVB. How'd you convince the cities to pay for that? Uh, I mean, essentially I told them it was a good idea and it'd be a really good look. Yeah. And then a thousand follow-up conversations to prove why. <laughs> and they asked how much money I was going to give them. And I said, absolutely no money. And I, I said, you're going to do this. That's a tough sell, dude. There's no tougher sell <laughs> than going into a group that has no idea what you're talking about right. and asking them to create a layer of bureaucracy that they don't want to create with no funding available from your end. But now we have 26. It can be done. We're going to sign. What's the goal? Well, the goal is engaged partners. If we had 10 engaged partners who were doing great work, I'd be completely happy with that. You know, I whiteboarded it out and said, I don't think we've got a fully fleshed out program until we have the majors. Uh, but major cities lev levers of power are huge and hard to pull. And so Dallas will be signed up this year and then Houston will be signed up this year. And then I'll say we've got a fully fleshed out program. So you got, you'll got get Dallas and Houston this year. Then, the, then I think we'll be, we'll be done with our majors. For what other sure. big cities do you, you have? Every other one. Fort Worth and Yeah, Fort Worth was our first actually. Hey, it just came out today that the uh, PBR is leaving Vegas for Fort Worth. Yeah, the PBR, it's moving. Yeah, it's moving. You're kidding. So uh, yeah, that's a big deal. So Fort Worth has been like our A plus kind of student. They they internalized this fast. Mayor Betsy Price, when she was there, and now Mayor Parker, uh, who's been recently elected, they got it immediately. And they said, well, we can add this onto our portfolio and we have money through our visit bureau to, to go actually make it a real program. And they they were in the process of building here Fort Worth which is a nonprofit to support it. So I went and hammered them hard. They created a fantastic program that has become, along with Austin, sort of a template for how you do this. Uh, so all of these cities, uh, 26, like I said now, have built these programs. What's better than them talking to me, though, about what I think they ought to do with it is them talking to each other about how they're doing it. Now, does this benefit, does this office, let's take Fort Worth, for example, is it more about venue support or individual artist support? It, it, it starts nominally. It starts with the, getting a, a full understanding of what their industry is at home. Mm -hmm. That's venues. That's people who work in offices that, work, that support the industry. That's performers. That's you know booking agents, managers. These they they've got to understand. Is it music what that stores? Hundred percent. Yeah. It's people who contribute to the music industry at right. home. Then they build out a program that that suits the needs of those people once they listen to them for the first time. So the programs look different because every town's made up of different people like that, and different people are more willing to get engaged in different places. So it benefits everybody. It'd be a hell of a job for a young 
politician to, I mean, or for you, you can for, make a mark in a place that's really fresh and new. Well, and you're making up an entire, you know, being creative about what programs you're trying I, to set up. I align it with what I've, I've done in my office by essentially saying, you know, expectations for this are relatively low. Let's be honest. You know, you could run this office the way it's always been run and no one would really think anything of it. If you did, that's fine. Congrats. Or you can really put your stamp on it and Make get it a, into something, turn it into something. And, and people would know that you did that, you know, or your, you and your staff and your team did that. So, yeah, I mean, for anyone who takes over a, a program that is semi-bureaucratic in nature and can really put a stamp on it, that's kind of a rare thing. So, yeah, I agree. I think it's a great starting point to someone who maybe has a passion for music, but wants to be involved in the running of a city, too. Right. And informing city policy. And that that's that's a really cool uh, position. So I'm guessing, like, as far as individual musicians, th this, this office benefits them more by supporting the infrastructure, the Sims, the ham, the all the all the things that you guys really work hands on with and the impact maybe not be noticed by the musicians it could be it in different places they've adopted different strategies that shine more of a light on individuals mm -hmm. uh so i'll go back to fort worth they're just a great example you know, we let me make a broader point real quick then i'll go back to that we have a tendency to throw parades for people once they become successful and we're very very apt to jump on board a bandwagon that's been built Right. You know, when someone becomes eminently, you know, successful, we love to claim them and say, look what we did. Right. We produced Gary Clark Jr. Or right. we produced Leon Bridges in Fort Worth. What this program can do is get involved with an artist much, much earlier than that and identify talent before it pops and say, what can we do to make it easier for you? Uh, what policies would make it easier for you? Can we create citywide listening platforms that will turn people on to you? Can we create billboards? Uh, that will say, you don't know him yet, but he's coming up. We love him. He supports Fort Worth. He takes Fort Worth out on the road for us. And when they do become successful, the city can at least say, well, we saw him back when, and we pointed it out, you know, yeah. and, and he or she has done great things and they've always been a great ambassador for this city. Uh, but we got involved with them early. Right. And Fort Worth has done that by creating gas cards to get people, you know, on the road. I mean, no just, kidding. just really, that's impactful stuff. That's big time. It is. Explain that. What? They, they just so, give them a credit card? or Yeah, they would give them a gas card and say, if you're going on the road and you're leaving from Fort Worth, all we ask is that you go promote our city when you're on stages and other places, but we'll help help pay for gas while you're on tour. And we know that any little margin help helps. You know, Typically, you come back in the red from a run, you know, and you have to go do it because you're creating these concentric touring circles. But right. a little help from the city, you're forever grateful for that. Absolutely. And that pays dividends way down the line for city. Now, does that, is, would that be... Let's talk about genres then. Like, you know, if the city's offering that mm -hmm. and they want you to be a good ambassador for the city, but you're in a punk band and you, your mentality is not to be anyone's spokesman. Yeah. But they can get involved with that program. And, and is there any, do they have to do anything? Do the art, are the artists? The, I think the I think the best calling for an artist like that or any other is to get involved in the conversation. Yeah if their material that they're taking out is maybe not going to be, you know, widely accepted because it's got speech that's not great or something right. like that, there's a case by case discussion to be had there. Fine. Right. Uh, but if those people are involved, 
uh, if they show up to these advisory board meetings or these commission meetings that happen all the time now, they at least got their voice heard. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, yeah, I mean, they may not like what they hear back, but they've had a chance to share what they think. Yeah, and at least then they can make a decision on just like any grown up to have. Yeah, it's to. like, I'm not going to support that. <laughs> They're not listening to me. Right. But, it, you know, the simple act of going to voice your opinion to someone who's listening to you is a huge step from, well, no one cares about me. I'm just playing music. So I'm, you know, right. I'm nobody in this town. Right. Which is not, it shouldn't be true. What I found about what you're, what you're talking about building in city by city is people have asked me what, what's the difference between being, living in Dallas or, or Austin or Nashville. And it has more to do with, if you say in Austin, I'm a musician, that's a job. That's right. There's pride to be taken in that. People understand what it is. You can go to a bank and get a loan. Whereas in all those other cities, if you're a musician, it's... No, like prove, prove that you have a business. Yeah. But part of our mission statement for Music Friendly Community highlights that. We say we want the music industry to be understood and respected as a valued uh, profession in this city. So if you're a part of that organization, you're given that respect or understanding and you're given that platform to contribute. So yeah, that's the thing. In in a lot of these cities, it was it was great once you got successful and you came back. They're like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I guess he's one in a million and he made it or whatever. Right. The idea that you know these people go to studios every day and create, run studios, write songs, they should be valued no differently than anyone else who does a job and provides for themselves and their families. Uh, and, and why hasn't it always been that way? I mean, right. that that's something we're we're seeking to sort of overcome with this program. Understanding that each each ant is carrying a, a heavy load. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly no right. What? It says so in our mission statement. You know, we seek through this program to make music, the music industry, a valued and respected, you know, profession in this community. So well, it seems like you're doing a good job, man. Are oh, you, I do you really it. enjoy it? Yeah, I, I do. I, I think there's a part of me that is service oriented that that finds satisfaction in that and while it's really frustrating at times and working in bureaucracy is what it is all the time and uh is that always is that like an uphill is that like hills are hard no matter what is it always that way it, it is always that way but but it's an understood it's an understood it's scenario to me now and so i i just brush that aside i i don't think they're trying to make it any harder than it should be it's only it can only work one way to stay ethically and financially responsible to do the things we're doing. So I right. accept it. Uh, but myself personally, I find a great, or I've learned now after having do, done this for six years, I, I've learned that I take a great deal of satisfaction in creating things that could possibly um, help engage people who who you want to take advantage of them. So when do you start? Because six years in, mm -hmm. it's, that's a it's a it's piece a of time. That's, that's a good chunk of time. Sure. First of all, do you have, do you want to go onward in politics? No, I don't, I don't think so. There, there's not a, a, there's not a particular calling to me to work, quote unquote, work in politics. I think. But you seem to be such a natural man. I think I'm more natural now in working to create relationships that could ultimately help people. And so I think that could look a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. I think one of my higher callings is going to be, this is through self-inventory and kind of reflection. I think part of my, you know, if, if I look back on the adult part of my life when I went to work and I could say, 
I ultimately worked in things or around things or for things that helped other people. Like I want to make money. I, I want to support my family. I want I want to do well. Of course, I want to be successful. But if I could do that by supporting things that supported other people and creating uh, more opportunities for folks, that would be optimizing me. So, so is it worth it to to like? That sounds like you want to be in like nonprofit world. I mean, if the right nonprofit came along that offered me a chance to do a similar growth uh, trajectory that I did at TMO, hundred percent. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, if a company that did good work for people asked me to come, you know, consult or work on it, fantastic. Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly what that looks like. Right. Uh, but I do know that the more thought I've given it, uh, having a more purpose-driven uh, professional life is going to be something that makes me happy when I'm older and looking back. Now, when you sure. said that when you started working in your adult life, I'm assuming that's after you st stopped playing <laughs> fiddle on the road. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, look. Is that when you became an adult? I, I don't know. I think part of the, you know, this is what I talk to a lot of younger people about now because given my age, I get to do that some, you know. The period of time between, so I played with Pat. You know, that was my main act from 96 to 2010. That's about 15 years. Wow. So yeah, that period of time between 2010 and 15 where I started doing this work at TMO, I was really trying to find out, you know, how I stepped away from being solely known as a musician, touring recording musician, not that there's any anything wrong with that or any stigma attached to it, but it was very much a part of my identity, right. how I viewed myself and how others viewed me. So that five year sort of however you want to call it, that that period in between uh, was was very much sort of just a transition period to try to figure out full stop. I'm not doing that anymore. What is the next adult part look so like? So you made a decision. I gotta get. I gotta get out of, off the bus. Yeah, hundred percent. And that was leading up to 2010. Uh, in 2010, when the opportunity came to bring half the money in to start that company and really put my head down and go to work, and it was not sexy work. You know, uh, I was really going to work my way out of being that that person. How hard was that? Really hard. Yeah. You know, mentally I, was was like you know it's almost like leaving the leaving the. Is depressing. It was scary. Um, it was very much like, uh, starting a new career. In, in fact, you know, people laugh occasionally, especially people I played with when I say I retired from touring in 2010, I didn't retire and go away to an Island with all my money, right. but I had to put a full stop on that as my identity. Did you miss the adrenaline? I miss it all do the time. You? I miss it all the time. I, I do. It I, seems I, like you get some high pressure situations in this new job though. I do. And those do turn me on. Those do. When I have a win. When we, when we moved the BMI thing here, or I set up a successful interaction that really nets something big and I, I put a lot of work into it. Yeah, I get a charge out of that. Nothing will replace creating or playing music I helped create in front of thousands of people. Yeah. That's irreplaceable. Right. You know, uh, there is a tremendous amount of parallel between, say, what I did and someone who plays professional athletics because I played violin from when I was three. Uh, until 2010, and that became something I did as a kid, which was part of my identity too, right. to 2010, which I did for 15 years as my sole source of, uh, of revenue, you right. know, as a living. And identity. And identity. And, and tremendous amount of identity with that, even before social media came along, and you sort of brand yourself in a way. Mm -hmm. And so stepping away from that and kind of going into the shadow shadows of that to go start something completely different, without allowing myself to go back for a couple of years and, and put my toe back in, because that's, 
that's a, you know, that's like a La Brea tar pit. <laughs> you, like, you walk back and you put your toe they in and all of a sudden back six in. months go by and you're like, what, what am I doing on this bus again? Yeah. I really had to put full stop, but I, there's a lot of parallel between the guys I knew that I met on the road who were playing ball, uh, you know, baseball, football, you know, pro yeah. golf, whatever else. Uh, they, they had this childhood identity that went along with that. They had this young adult identity that went along with that and all the lifestyle that came with that. The new interactions with new people in every city, every day. Yeah. New, 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 exciting, exciting, exciting. And to turn that valve off one day was it was really difficult. And it I, you know, I still think I deal with that. I, you know, I didn't deal with it that great for a few years. We've had to all deal with it this last year. You know, when they cut, yeah, cut you know, touring off. That's what worried me the most cold turkey. about dealing with my friends like you and others who took a hard stop that they were not expecting. Yeah, you know, it's that, been tough. Because mentally, uh, psychologically, it's not healthy to do that. And yeah, it broke my heart for a lot of people to see what they, how they dealt with it. Um, it wasn't all positive, you know? No, so, it's not. It's been, it's been a long year. Yeah. So at least the advantage I had in 2010 was I'm choosing to do this. Right. It's my choice. I understand that. Uh, I've had the time of my life. I'll always reflect on it. And now, you know, with, with a lot of separation from it, I can go back and pick out all the positive parts and you know, it's, it's the best. Yeah, and you I still get did. to interact with all the same type of people that, that you were in love with in the first place. That's been a blessing that, you know, came along with working at TMO is, or Texas music office is that I got to go back and interact with people and see them be around it a lot and know that I was I know supporting I've seen you it. a lot more yeah. since you started working there. Well, that's another thing I was going to say. I, I have to give Pat at the time it was unexpected uh, but looking back, I have to give Pat a ton of, uh, of, of respect for this and share, you know, with you and anyone who asks how grateful I am that he took this attitude with me that when I left, you know, it was like for me and Pat, it was like a marriage breaking up and all that goes along with that. Mm -hmm. But he said, you know, uh, that spot's yours. You come back whenever you want. You don't even have to call me. Just you show up and play whenever you want. Uh, and you know, you kind of wrestle with that and you're like, is he serious? Is right. he saying this in the moment? Cause it's Pat. Right. And he's six a, months later when you're gone. Yeah. And you call him back like, and he's what? like, where's my number? <laughs> we <dude?"> moved on. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> even but, if it, even if the position doesn't get filled. Uh, yeah. I don't want you around bring anymore. Bring someone around. I've thought, I've thought about <laughs> it and I don't want you around anymore. It, it could have gone either way. You know, um, uh, I, I, I think about this a lot. You know, you've got, I'll try to make this a brief example, but you know, in college you, you got a whole semester. Right. And you start at the beginning of the semester and everyone's got an A. Yeah. Right. And you test and you test and you test and you know you'd like to keep that A at the end of that semester. Right. So, you know, the way I looked at relationships at the beginning of the semester with Pat, you know, was not the adult way to look at it. Uh, at the end of the semester, where I, I, I think we approached a couple of years ago, where Pat and I are at the place we are now, where we're family, you know, uh, I had to make. 110s on all my tests personally in every interaction with him to make me feel like I was passing that class. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I was trying to make up for a deficit I'd put myself in because I was so personally wrapped up and, you know, and emotionally wrapped up in this band and, and all that we had going on. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think we made it to that point and it had everything to do with Pat leaving the door open. And yeah. so when Matt, when you ask like, how many shows do I get? Any shows I want. And it typically adds up to about 10 or 15 shows a year. That must be fun. 
Well, that lets me go back yeah. and know a couple of things. I loved that. I was right to love it my whole life and to want to do it and to aspire to do it and to do it the best I could. You know, yeah. I'm not, I'm not the greatest fiddle player in the world or musician in the world, but I got to be in a really featured spot and a really popular band for a long time. And that was a huge blessing that I'm, I'll always be grateful for. But now I get to go back and just be that guy for a minute. Yeah. And then step away. I love it for you that you get to do that and that you get to see, you get to take apart all the frustrating parts about being in that band for the put, 10, and put them away and go, okay, that was frustrating. I don't have to deal with that. All right. Cause I remember, you know, you know I was, well I would call you out a couple times. Like, yeah. Hey dude, you just don't look happy. Right. Right. And so you, you know, you couldn't see the forest for the trees. Yeah. I was so blinded by exactly what I thought. And I was in my head every minute of every day. It's just not a healthy way to live, you know, yeah. and getting to put that aside makes me a healthier and more well-adjusted person. Sure. Uh, but I also knew in myself that if I didn't continue a relationship with Pat, and I'll speak specifically to Pat, uh, that I would have done myself a disservice. You yeah. know, he can feel however he wants about all that. But I knew for me that repairing all that and becoming this person that can go give him a hug, play a great show, and be a part of his life in that way, right. how, whatever that means to him, I, I'm doing myself you know, a solid. Yeah. I think anytime you spend that much time with those, those people and that charged of a place. And especially at the level y'all were doing it. I mean, y'all were playing big shows all year long. Yeah. And then I bear, I bear a significant amount of that, you know, sort of emotional weight because, you know, I, I, I carried it that way. And so, you know, leaving all that behind. Yeah. It, it, it was essentially like a, a breakup, uh, but it's a, it's a friendship and a, and a family you know dynamic that I can repair, you know, and I'm big enough to do that. Yeah. I know that now. So, you know, going back and playing those shows, you don't see me not smiling, and you don't see me Never. not being happy to be there. No, you. It's 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 almost like a completely different personality. Well, it's a gift he gave me to be able to do that, and it's a gift I gave myself to be adult enough and mature enough to put those things, all of those things aside and just see it for what it is. Yeah. It's an amazing gift. So I love getting back to, to the playing. So it's the best. I hope I get to do it forever. I really do. Well, let's, let's hope he gets to do it forever. <laughs> Me too. I, yeah, I feel the same way. I feel the same way. I genuinely feel, and I listened to your cast that you just did with him. I thought it was great. I mean, that was Pat talking on the mic. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it will never be anything different, you know? Right. I genuinely feel like, having lived next to him for, you know, 25 plus years now, you know, he's, he's had a, a big first act. I like his attitude about where he is and he's due for a great second act, Yeah, you know, and, and I wish that for him. I, I wish that, you know, he's, you know, th he's the kind of person I think he is that can take that inventory and go be that person that he can be for the next 30, 30 plus years in this business. That's the thing is like, it's hard if like the, defining what your second and third act is going to be. And recognizing that you need to think about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I always remember thinking when we were younger and I was taking it more seriously and trying to go to Nashville and trying to, trying to, I always remember going, man, the party doesn't go on forever. Right. Like you gotta, you gotta go make an impact now so you can have some, some other opportunities. Like, you know, if I hadn't, if you hadn't done what you did, you know, gone all over the world with a band, had the, time of your life but Absolutely. then because of that it was a, it was a, it was a springboard to yeah 
It, it was. I wouldn't be doing the things I'm doing without having had that experience. I mean, hands down, if I'd come out of college and taken some job, I mean, I would have been in a completely different life now. Yeah, it would have been. I mean, you, obviously, you'd be good at anything you do. I mean, I've I seen you. It. I've seen you take on different different roles and over the past twenty years, and it's it's pretty unmistakable. The, I I love. I, I appreciate that. I, I love making music with people. You know, I, I, I love playing music in front of people. I mean, these are all just bedrock things that I know to be true. You know, yeah. uh, there's no greater blessing to me. Uh, and, and still knowing those things, getting to work for it and support it every day just gives me more gratification than, you know, the hour and a half a day I was doing it with, you know, with, with Pat back in the day, right. I was, I'm geared for more than that. Yeah. And so, you know, figuring that out and finding a lane makes me or gives me the ability and I'm really grateful for that to look back and say, this has all been one thing. This is not just a series of whoops, I fell into this, whoops, I fell into that things. Right. This has all been one thing. Right. It and seems to have it'll continue to be. How long do you think you'll stay at TMO, Texas Music Office? Well, that's really not up to me. I mean, that's a good feeling too, because you know, I get asked that all the time. And I think people expect me to say, Well, I don't know. I mean, the governor could change, you know, times could change. I don't think about it that way. I just don't. I don't I think of it. I don't think of it that way. I, I don't mean like, it seems to me like it has more to do with how long do you want to like to, I said at the beginning this of this rock thing, up the hill. yeah, thank That's a good way to put it. I mean, I, I said about five years ago, I'd like not to stay here past my idea dates. Yeah. You know, if, if I found myself sitting at the office going, I've done everything I know how to do here and five more years go, go by. And I'm not at that point yet, but if five more years go by and I had reached that point. Well, you know what that does, to, you know what being in a position where you don't feel like you're really getting to use all your talents, you, you went through that before. Yeah. That's like putting <laughs> myself in solitary. Like nobody likes that guy. Yeah. You know? so, <laughs> so nobody likes that guy. I wouldn't like that guy. My family wouldn't like that guy. Uh, I'm really fortunate now, you know, part of my mission at the office was to grow it to really identify the things we as an office could do well, take everything else out and just do those things well, say no to everything else and automate it. Mm -hmm. So that when, you know, Mark leaves as social media coordinator and outreach and Chip decides he's moving on, someone comes in and does that thing. Right. And I don't have to have my hands on that to make sure the office does its work. Right. People can add to that. New people can add to that. That's great. I want it to do these things that I think are important as a system. And so we built that system that does its work. So now I do find myself with sort of uh, executive downtime where I can think. Right. Because I'm not going all over the state selling this thing anymore. It sells itself. Right. And Chip, whom we hired, is going out and doing that interface work that I was doing. I can sit and think about how we're best high, best and highest used. Yeah. In the how, how to grow different programs. Dude. So, so when, things. so when you ask like how much longer, well, there's an end date on it. Uh, you know, politics being what it is, you know, the, the, the big guy is going to, you know, make his moves, whatever those are. I don't know what those are. Uh, and someone else could very easily come in and say, well, I'm going to put my stamp on this the way he did. And then there's somebody else. And that's great. That's well, that's going to happen with the program, no matter what, even in the satellite cities, because there's going to be new mayors and 100%. new administrations every, every couple of there years. There are winds that blow. I totally understand that. What I want to be ready for is an understanding of where I'm best suited. 
And, you know, I genuinely believe that people will find me. Yeah. I, I genuinely believe that. And, and I'm not impatient. I also think about the way it. you've set it up and the way you've set yourself up in, in the, in our industry is, uh, it's funny because you act, you seem to think that who's in, who's in the capital, uh, the governor's seat would, would make a difference. And I don't look at this as even remotely partisan. I don't think it is. And I've never approached it that way. I, I, I've seen this as, you know, nominally constituent service. You got to find out exactly who your constituents are and then go work for them. And that to me is, is done regardless of, of R's and D's. It doesn't really make a difference to me. Uh, we have to navigate laws that get made. Sure. But I don't look at this as a political position. Uh, it is, but I don't, I don't see it through that lens. It's in the political sphere, but it's hundred percent. And that, that to me, right or left side, right. That to me gives me an opportunity to learn and grow and figure out how that system works while I'm here. That's well, interesting, dude. You can put that in the present tense. It's not, it's no longer future tense. Like just listening to you talk and I'm, you know, you've done, you've been done events I've been a part of and yeah. leadership roles and things like that. Your language, you've learned, you learned the language. <laughs> <laughs> you have learned the language. I appreciate that. If, that. if it's like reading music, you figured it out. Thanks. Well, I don't want to double talk. I, I try to say exactly what we're doing and what I mean. Uh, I think I've gotten better at that. I think delivering an idea, delivering a message, because frankly, most of the people I talk to don't want to hear me have a conversation with them. They want to hear exactly what I want, exactly what I need, exactly how they can help meeting over. Right. So you don't waste time with a bunch of, you know, well, I did this and I did that. Right. You just get to the point and understand and know your subject matter inside and out better than anybody else. And then you might have a shot. And so I think that'll carry on to, to later life. And I'm excited about whatever that is. Uh, there's a lot going on in the industry and I know a lot about it. Mm -hmm. I don't know everything. I never will. Uh, but there's a lot going on and I'd love to be a part of making sure things work better for people that I used to be, Yeah, you know, and, and, uh, really love and respect. So, you know, in that way to some groups, I'm unicornish because I was that I understand it inside and out. I know the lifestyle. It's not something I read in a book, but I know a lot of other things now too. Right. So, that that for somebody is going to be attractive. So, you know, when my ideas are done and the office is running like it's supposed to, I hope someone can come in and do my job and take what we've done, what the, my team has done uh, really well and expand on it. And I hope at that point that I'll be somewhere where I'm optimized and I'm going to work to yeah, do some good. Doing something else with your learning. And uh, I, I have I have to tell I have to tell a story that's going to lead into something else real briefly. So yeah. when we were coming up. Right. And I was getting to know this scene. Yeah. Um, so the idea that you could be an independent, self-produced, self-promoted artist was kind of a foreign concept. We'd grown up, you know, I, I grew up in College Station, you know, uh, listening to the heroes. Right. You know, but on the covers of every record was the label name. And I knew that to be a thing that was done. If we were going to ever hear music uh, that was going to be played in living rooms that I was growing up in. It was made by these kind of people. Right. Uh, and I could read the jackets and figure out who that was. Uh, and when you did, uh, you know, your take on that by self-promoting, self-producing, self-releasing and self-touring all these, uh, these incredible records you made when I was, when I was young, I, I'm a few years younger than you. So I yeah. got to listen to that in my sort of, you know, infant phase of the, the playing world. That was hugely eye-opening, 
and affecting to so many people, a lot of whom you've talked to on the, the show and you probably will end up, uh, you know, and, and Jack Pierce was a part of that too, and that they got in some major label relationships earlier, but seeing how those got done, a huge light bulb went off to me. So here's my story. So I was still in, in high school, um, hadn't started at A&M yet, and I went down to Stafford and you were playing. Now I was in love with the idea that somehow I could play fiddle on the stage violin fiddle on the stage with bands that I was listening to on yeah. tapes. Yeah, man. That's a huge leap. <laughs> That's a big deal. Yeah. One, there's one thing to listen to him in your, in your, in your house, in your room. There's another thing to be a guy on stage. Go interact. So I went down super early. This, this is how creepy weird kid I was. I went down there super early and Diamond Jim was playing with you. Uh, and I believe he'd done the live at eight Airs thing. Maybe that's right. I, in my head, that's kind of how it worked. He played Milo played steel and Jim played fiddle fiddle. So there was, so there was, there was a guy doing that, had a fiddle and I went and stood right in front of him. I didn't go with anybody else. I didn't call a bunch of you know buddies to go. I went and stood in front of that dude and I watched him and, uh, he could see me watching him. Yeah. And essentially at one break, he was like, do you play or something? What are you doing? <laughs> I was creeping him out hundred percent, but y'all were killing it. And the Stafford was packed and it's all I ever wanted to do in the world. And so, um, I kept standing there and he had to take a leak. Right. So there's the back door uh, at the Stafford, which leads out, like we talked about earlier to the street. And he said, well, put your money where your mouth is. Get up here. (laughs) It's so good. And so, uh, he pulled me up and you're playing and you looked over, you know, it's the typical, like, what? Come on, man. It's my show. What are you doing? (laughs) And pulled me up and you played whiskey river. And in, in, in G, as as the people do. That's right. And people's court. The people, yes. The people's and, key. Uh, so I just, you know, as Johnny Gimble said, I played everything. <laughs> played everything I knew. <laughs> and you, uh, you, you looked at me like, well, shit, that was, that was pretty good. Yeah, man. And huge charge. So I, I made my way off stage. I tried not to overstay, but in the crowd was Jeremy Elliott, who had just started at A and M. That's right. And I went walking off in my little victory lap, and no one knew what the hell I was doing there, but. Uh, he grabbed me and said, that was really cool. So this guy is moving back to College Station. His name's Roger Crager. And uh, he's just looking to do open mic stuff. He, he doesn't have anything. You're not going to be able to find anything from it for him. Right. Uh, but you should just go meet him. And so I played with him these open mics at Third Floor Cantina a bunch and other places. And yeah. he and I could just do a show together. Right. Uh, his first paid show was for my dad for his birthday party. <laughs> Roger's great. very first one. And then um, he did a demo, which was really rough, but it got Lloyd Maines to say yes to producing his first record called Having Fun All Wrong. Right. It's before I'd met Corey or before I met Pat. Wow. And Lloyd, uh, he brought me to the studio and Lloyd was like, uh, I can't do, I can't do Lloyd. Uh, like, uh, uh, now, uh, do you own a tuner? <laughs> yeah. uh, he was like, well, we can give you a shot if you want to. But I did it and he let me play. And of course, Lloyd is the consummate like, just play this, play this, you'll be all right. Yeah. Make you sound like a real fiddle player is what he said. Yeah. <laughs> and he did, and he kept bringing me back. He made all of us sound real at some level. He made all of us sound real because he took time and would coach us through it, and he didn't just bring in the scabs to get the record done. That's right. And um, he uh, was so gracious to me, and so I got some confidence from all of that, and it gave me the confidence to creepy weird kid again to Corey Morrow at the tap <laughs> who asked me to come play shows. And when Corey played the show with Robert Earl Keane – and it got rained out that Shaberg and Dixon did at Wolf Penn. Mm-hmm. 
I showed, I was supposed to play the show. I showed back up when the reschedule happened and Pat was opening the show because Corey was playing his sister's wedding. I kept my backstage pass and that's where I went up to Pat and said, I don't know you, you don't know me, but you, you need to be in your band. And <laughs> I love it. And he hired me and I played the next night and played for 15 years. For 15 years. 15 with him. years. So I, I want to thank you for that because that whole like line of people I met when I was finishing high school for like six months was direct result of me staged gang staging your, <laughs> your show at Stafford. Hey man, it, you are a welcome addition. I mean, every time you've ever been on stage with me. I appreciate it. I just, I, I cannot like, I can't overstate the amount of impact that it had on me. And it directly led to this kind of career I had with Pat forever. Uh, and to answer your question, Matt, what happened with Pat is he had a bunch of guys from Lubbock, uh, Terabay being one of them, but they were, he had a bunch of older guys. We had that terrible drummer. <laughs> I don't great, throw, great guy. I, I don't want to throw him under the bus, <laughs> hey, but he really did. But these guys kept getting fed up and would leave, right? Oh, right. They're like, we'd had enough. We're not getting paid anyway. I'm out. And uh, so we just got whittled down to me and, and T-Bay and Pat, which you can imagine what that sounds like. And Pat at one point was like, man, I need a- Chugga, 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 chugga. <laughs> it's terrible. And he, he was essentially like, I got to find some guys. And so uh, I hired Justin, who was my roommate, Pollard, who I've had a cover band with in high school. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And then we hired our neighbor, Brett. Pa Pollard's from College Station too? He moved to College Station and I met him my freshman year of high school in English class. Wow. And uh, so we got him in the band and then Brett, our next door neighbor, became the uh, guitar player. And that was, that was the band that did all the stuff for a long time. <laughs> yeah, that was it. But I had to share that with you because- Thank you, man. Well- I, It goes a long way. It's funny. When we think back about how we got, I mean, I was the same weird kid that would go stand in front of Jerry Jeff Walker or Robert yep. O'Kane, just, just looking for, just, just just digging in anything. Notice me. Yeah. I mean, that's how you learn. That's it. But I, I gotta, I gotta tell you, I appreciate that. <laughs> you didn't, you didn't just boot me off. <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> too good looking to boot off. Jack, I love you. <laughs> love you I love too, that man. song we wrote too, man. That was, that was a real COVID miracle for me to have that good created and and i'll never forget sitting there at that table on the phone with you yeah like, i think we we're facetiming it like we did the deep eddie regulars zoom call and everybody right. else faded off that's right and i was like I, i'm awake do you want to play cards yeah that's <laughs> right i forgot good stuff great talking with you man. good to talk to you jack always good to see you